Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be discussing the Thunder going up against the Toronto Raptors, just kind of what happened in that game, and Lou Dort's just emergence in the month of April. Obviously, that continued in the game against Toronto, and I'm also just going to be giving a little bit of a preview heading into tonight's game against the Washington Wizards. But just going back to this Thunder Toronto Raptors game, I mentioned it in yesterday's podcast. I actually think it was like the headline story here, but Toronto, they entered this game kind of with notice already from the league because of how they've been resting players. And I believe there was something dating back like a week where they were ruling Fred Van Vliet as healthy to get rid of a suspension or something when ultimately he really wasn't. So that might have been a reason as to why they got a fine, but they've just been resting players, um, and they've not really been fooling anybody as to why that is. I mean, they've kind of been in free fall, and I don't think they're really in the playoff scheme, even though the East is still technically kind of wide open for a playing spot. They're not really in that area right now, and when you have starters just missing significant time for nothing more than rest, it's kind of some red flags. So in the game before they played the Orlando Magic, they didn't have Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, or Gary Trent Jr. for the game. And the only real change of scenery we saw heading into this game for our game, um, that is, they had Gary Trent Jr. available, but they took Fred Van Vliet out of the rotation. So that's four out of your typical five starters just not seeing playing time. And for a team like the Thunder, who was entering this on a t- on a nine-game losing streak, I mean, that's kind of a game, like a gimme game almost. And in Toronto's side of things, I don't think they're all too upset if they would have lost in this game. But that's not how things unfolded for the Toronto Raptors. Bench all these guys, doesn't matter. They can't out-tank the Thunder right now. So they ended up winning despite really benching everybody. And on the Thunder's front, the only main dude gone was SGA. They had Poku back. Dort and Bays were both playing. You were really just playing a full head of steam Thunder roster. And they still managed to win. So it makes them look like fools to the league right now. Because they still have, you know, a magnifying glass right on them. And they just didn't get their end goal. They might, have, might as well just have played their whole entire starting starting rotation against us. But didn't work out that way. And they still get the same result that probably would have happened if they had all their starters. And for OKC, I think for the tanking community, which is just rapidly growing, let's just be honest, they're probably pretty happy about this result. So the Raptors won barely 112-106. to Because of that, the Toronto Raptors are now sitting at 24 and 34. They're still in a three-game tie for the 8 through 10 slots in the lottery. They're sharing it with the Bulls, the Wizards, and then themselves. The Chicago Bulls and Wizards, they're 23 and 33, whereas the Raptors are 24 and 34. So they have two more games under their belt, but still the same exact winning percentage. So that's how you kind of get a tie going on. And for the Thunder, with their 10th straight loss, they're now 20 and 37. They're still fifth in the lottery standings with that. But with that being their 10th straight loss, they are the worst team in the league right now from a streak perspective. And the way we look at it, 
that might just be a good thing. We were competing with the Sacramento Kings this whole entire month. I believe they've gone winless in April up until their last game. They ended up breaking their streak, so they're they're one and nine in their last ten. Whereas the Thunder, I mean, they just keep losing games. And when you're looking at the last ten, they've dropped all of them. They're only two games behind Orlando. They are three games behind Detroit. But you still got guys like the Cleveland Cavaliers right at your doorstep. They're only a half game back. So it ended up helping because if they got a win, this would have been another scenario where you're kind of tied up with the Kings or the the uh, Cavs. And then you have the Raptors kind of banging on the, uh, the front door. But it didn't work out that way. So it works, I think, for, for our front at least. But just going into how this game was... This was actually really close in the first quarter. There were 11 lead changes and three ties. And this was almost just a 1v1 versus two guys who literally grew up in the same neighborhood in Toronto. Chris Boucher and Lou Dort, they were just gunslinging. Lou Dort had 21 points in the first quarter, shot a perfect 7 of 7 from the field. Five of those shots coming from downtown and then Chris Boucher he got his 17 points on six of nine shooting and he was three of five from downtown one of his biggest plays he ended up just dribbling he was kind of taking the ball iso style and he has Alexei Pokashevsky on him dribbling left wing does a step back he gets Poku stumbling I think he almost touched the floor on this play and he drained the three so he was definitely on sports center for that play and he was also one of the main reasons as to why they were in it to win it. But the deal was Boucher only had 17. As I mentioned, Lou Dort had 21. That's historic numbers. Only seventh guy in franchise history to dock a 20-point quarter. And because of that, he helped lead the Thunder to a three-point lead by the quarter's end. They were up 31-28. to 28. And really what you were looking at was the Boucher and Dort show, but also just all around teams shooting from downtown. There were 12 made threes combined between the two sides in the first quarter. And they only scored, what, 59 points in the first? 36 of those points came from downtown. That's a little bit over 60% of your points coming from distance. That's a stat that you would probably never see coming based on how we've been playing in these last couple of games. But you kind of change the tone here. And then when OKC's bench mob comes out, they just continue to pile onto this tiny lead. Only three points, but they helped accrue a double-digit lead, hitting three straight triples. Ty Jerome hit two of them. I believe Isaiah Roby hit the third so they were just in high spirits already, and now Toronto, they're trying to come back and win the game, but they really couldn't. OKC, they had a double-digit lead, really just locked down for the better portion of the second quarter, but then you started seeing the Toronto Raptors kind of clap back, and it started with them kind of clogging up the perimeter, and what you would see with the Thunder, obviously just pull-up jumpers, but they would start working from the perimeter, they'd get your attention, 
and they catch someone with their pants down, you got a wide open two points right inside. No more assists for them. Once that kind of dried out, that is when the Toronto Raptors started attacking. And the reason they started attacking came from Gary Trent Jr. This is the Thunder Killer. Every single time he suits up, he ends up posting a major performance. No different in the second. And it wasn't in large quantities. He just had five straight points. But you're going to shave the game down just off of that. And the momentum carried. I mean, they were down four off of the Gary Trent Jr. makes. So that's a completely different ball game. But actually... It really was not. It was kind of all for nothing just for that point of time because the Thunder, they enlisted their starting group again and they went on an 8-2 run. So they were looking to get back up double digits, but Chris Boucher was having absolutely none of it. He had a completely silent second quarter, but right at the buzzer, he made sure to make his impact. He went right up the court, kind of a botched play here, like the ball really was never in anybody's hands until the final second, but Chris Boucher corrals it, ends up pulling up at the right wing, and he drained a triple as time sounded off. So it was 59-52 to in the Thunder's favor, heading into halftime, and the reason they were up was the three. Lou Dort was going off with his 5 of 5 shooting. He had over 50% of their first half threes, but as a whole, the team was still very, very good. They shot 9 of 17 from downtown. That's a little bit over 50%. And Toronto, they actually got a good amount of threes too. They hit eight, but it took them 21 shots to get there. So those empty possessions they got, OKC was able to turn around, turn it into fast break points, or just make plays right around the basket. Just extra possessions. And that's going to get you a, a little bit of a lead heading into the second half. But I think the main thing that you kind of want to point out in the first half was how the Thunder was doing passing the basketball. They have had a terrible time balancing the passing game as well as the turnover game. At least as of late, that's kind of been the story with them. I think um, the last two ones, they had more turnovers and assists actually. And it didn't look like it was going to be one of those games. They had 15 assists by halftime. Toronto only had nine. And when you are firing and getting everybody involved, you're going to be very hard to stop. So when you started that second half, it seemed like the Thunder were going to continue to kind of build upon their lead, get it back up to double digits, and potentially seal the game in the third. And it had inklings of it happening. The first play of the third quarter was a made thing three you get yourself back up 10 points but then the raptors started to get extremely extremely hot they went down the floor started hitting three after three they made two in a row to make it a one possession game and just like it was in the second quarter kind of some unpredictability seeping in to everybody's minds but lou dort tried to shoot that away he ended up getting an and one off of that play. The next play got them back up to a two possession lead, but it also inadvertently got Chris Boucher a little bit shaken up. He was driving inside, just clashing in. I think Boucher might've caught a little bit of Dort's elbow and his jaw was just a little bit wonky. 
you know, just like as typical, if your jaw ever gets messed up, you're going to be like opening and closing your mouth, just like relaxing the muscles, whatever it may be. That's what Boucher was doing. So he looked a little bit out of it for a brief moment, but he ended up collecting himself and he returned and he returned in a strong manner. He ended up putting Toronto up a point. That was one of their first leads since the first half. And then Pogashevsky, he just took it right back. Finger roll layup. He's been so good at doing this, but he will like get in the post with a smaller defender. Seven feet tall, seven foot three inch wingspan. You got to do to six five with like a six foot six inch wingspan. It's not hard. He will literally keep his pivot foot down. And I don't know if I'd want to call it muscle somebody, but he just stick his arm like right into somebody's like side and he'd be able to get the ball facing the rim almost uncontested he'll jump up and get a finger roll layup to go that's exactly what that shot was to get him back up but then it kind of started this cat and mouse game where okay now you saw all these ties and lead changes in the first quarter it's gonna start happening once again and every raptor bucket was gonna be followed by some sort of highlight play on the other end with the thunder especially alexei Pokushevsky. He was having a field day in terms of making highlights. Just in like a three minute span, I'd probably say the six minute to three minute mark in the third. He was, he probably had like three or four blocks. Two of them were in rapid succession, same exact drive. Nothing inside was going through that man. And then on offense, he was still piecing together those solid, crafty moves right around the basket. So he was kind of the forefront of the offense. But then he actually went down in the game, and it came after Freddie Gillespie, I believe, charged right into him. Pokushevsky, he's facing, his back is facing the basket, and then Gillespie, I mean, he's got a full head of steam, inadvertently hit his groin, and obviously, you know, if you got some pain in the groin, you're going to be sitting down for a little bit trying to recollect yourself, so... Yeah, he got taken out, and that's kind of where the game started shifting. So they took the lead, and then you had Toronto being able to have easier access to the paint, and that's why they were kind of able to keep up with the Thunder because now the Thunder, they're looking inside as well where Toronto was kind of struggling to hit their threes. That's when you saw the Thunder jumping up, but now they could work at all three levels, and it helped them get the final strike to be up 81 to 80 entering the fourth quarter and the fourth quarter was a little bit different because the officials they were kind of letting rough play go on for the first 36 wasn't happening to begin the fourth there were already three charges in the first two minutes kind of set the tone and the thunder they had their second unit go in but they weren't conforming to the refs kind of ideals here of, you know, no physical play. They were just going right back to their roots and they were going from downtown and just working from the outside in and they reclaimed the lead because of it. They went on an 8-2 run to begin the fourth, but Toronto, they recovered pretty well. Just took them a couple possessions to get back neck and neck and now you're starting to see cat and mouse yet again with the leads just flipping over and over again 
and they were doing this with the um, starting unit for the Thunder at times, and even the Raptors, they had their bench guys, like, they did not want Gary Trent or Chris Boucher touching the floor until maybe the midway point, so this were, this was guys like Malachi Flynn doing some pretty good justice to keep him in, so good with them, and then whenever you had the starters checking in, kind of just an all-out duel between each other, the main kind of, I'd say, strike in the fourth came from Chris Boucher, he ended up scoring five consecutive points when the game before was tied, so they got up 107 to 102, just right inside the two-minute warning, and Boucher's mini run would have actually stacked to seven, because he had a breakaway jam opportunity, like I'm pretty sure he even dunked the basketball in. Transition, no one was behind him. If there was, like trailing 10 feet. So no chase down block was in the equation here. But they ruled the play dead before he even got it. Because Lou Dort, he was around the, you know, the right side of the floor. Almost touching the back of that timeline. So he's kind of getting pinned up. And Gary Trent Jr. picked his pocket. Picked it cleanly. Ball's on the ground. Obviously, knowing Lou Dort, he's going to be jumping right on it. And Gary Trent, he was doing it as well. So he kind of mistriggered where the ball would land, Trent. So he sprawled out of bounds. And he was trying to get right back inside the floor to toss a ball up. And it looked like, in real time, honestly, it looked like he was good. Like he picked the ball up, threw a perfect pass down the floor. But before it could travel over there, the ref, they already ruled it. You know, he was stepping out of bounds, the heel was touching the out-of-bounds line, and it, and it was. So the ref made an extremely good call right there. If it were to be you change the script and there was a no call there, oh, Boucher would have had a 7-0 run, and you would have pretty much closed this game off. That would have been very difficult to overcome And now looking at like a minute 30 seconds or whatever. So that was a pivotal play, got reviewed, and then they just upheld it. So Oklahoma City... They were able to kind of come back and try to make their strike. Took them a little bit to do that. Took them around a minute before anyone sounded off any bucket. But of course, the man who did it was Lou Dort. He crashed right into Chris Boucher for two free throws. Hit them both. So now it's just a 107-104 Toronto Raptors lead with 33 seconds remaining in the game in Toronto they wanted to advance the basketball in order to I guess make some sort of play and yeah I mean at the time it makes sense you don't want to get trapped and potentially have an eight second violation so they just want to set up in the half court drain the shot clock down and let someone hit a dagger and they wanted Gary Trent Jr. to have the ball can't really blame them for doing so but it took him a bit to get the inbounds in Gary Trent gets it, and now he's pinned. Just like Lou Dort was, Gary Trent Jr. gets pinned. Lou Dort is just attached at the hip with this guy, and he's trying to push him into the corner next to the out-of-bounds line right at that timeline. You got two defenders there, plus Lou Dort damn near making an isosceles triangle over there, so he would have been trapped, and he kind of got saved. Kem Birch, recently acquired from the buyout market, He's just snuck right behind Lou Dort and bodied him. Lou Dort got decked off this screen and it opened so many new avenues for Gary Trent. Just went right by Lou Dort. He wasn't even a defender at that point. So now you're looking at five on four basketball. You gotta find the open man. And Gary Trent, 
He just attacked the basket because Ken Birch, he went up. I believe his man also went up. So you didn't have much congestion in the lane whatsoever. Pretty much a two free points if no one were to step up to the plate. So Gary Trent, he's going in, but he's also veering off to the side, kind of seeing who's in his peripheral vision. And you know who he found? Chris Boucher wide open at the left wing. He gets it. Catch fire three. It's good to go. Up six points. That's about over. Not much time remaining. Oklahoma City, they were able to get Isaiah Roby on a cut. They called the timeout. Found him wide open for a standing dunk or driving dunk. My apologies. But it was a four-point game. Just not enough time. And when you engage in a free throw contest, typically it's not going to go your way. Didn't go in Oklahoma City's favor. So Toronto, that's how they were able to get their six-point lead. And Mark Dagnall was talking about how you know, they deserve some credit. They had some good zone defense possessions against them, and they were able to pressure the Thunder, and they just could not really fight against that. So that's how he kind of saw it. You know, very close game from start to finish, and only one person was going to win. Ended up being the Toronto Raptors, and they did it with a whole lot of teamwork. They had six people score in double figures. But there's always just, you know, two or three guys who really take the show away. And it was Gary Trent Jr. and Chris Boucher for them. Gary Trent Jr., he had 23 points. Actually pretty inefficient relative to what we've seen from him. Just shot 9 of 25 on the game. But he made up for it because the shots that he was sticking, they were from downtown. He shot 5 of 10 from deep. So I would consider it a net positive that Gary Trent was jacking up 25 shots for them. And on top of that, it wasn't just him being a good shooter. He also got that really game-winning assist, but also defensively, he put them in so many different situations to get themselves the victory. Almost had more steals than the entire Thunder roster. He had five in the game. The Thunder, they only had six. And right next to him, his left-hand man, Chris Boucher, he had 31 points, that was a game high, and he got on 10 of 16 shooting, also had 12 rebounds, just like Gary Trent Jr. was making his threes, Chris Boucher, he was doing it as well, 6 of 9 from downtown, and the way he was able to just operate in space was amazing to me, honestly, I didn't really see Chris Boucher, I haven't seen him in action much, until now like the only real time I've taken account Chris Boucher is like in fantasy leagues because he has been a stat sheet stuffer this year but I just would assume he's just down and dirty getting rebounds putting shots back up no he's a three level scorer and he does have a little bit of ball handling abilities to him so he was a major threat in that area as well and he was able to just beast. Like, he is a 40% three-point shooter in typical games. I think for the regular season, he's around 39%. But this was definitely one of his better three-point clinics. And then working inside, he was just as good as well. And with the Toronto Raptors having that two-headed kind of monster, you couldn't really allow for anybody else to get double digits. As I talked about, they had four more on top of that. So pretty wild. But something that's even more wild than that as I talked about in the first quarter, I believe, Chris Boucher and Lou Dort have a long-lasting relationship. They both grew up in Toronto in the same neighborhood. Wasn't really a great part of town, 
But um, yeah, I mean, they both played basketball in uh, in the parks, and Lou Dort mentioned it post game. You know, kind of the friendship they've had, and how when he was growing up, he really didn't play with Chris Boucher that much, or at least that's what he was leading off. Because there's a six year age difference between Boucher and Lou Dort. Boucher's 28. And Lou Dort literally just turned 22 years old. So it's really closer to seven if you want to make it that way. But, I mean, when you're a youngin', like when you are young trying to play on the big kid courts, it's really not going to work out. So I'm assuming that Lou Dort, if he ever played Boucher, it wasn't for a very long stint. But there were still connections there. And he said that he kind of watched him grow up, you know, as he's played. And it was just a cool, cool moment seeing all them together. I also think Ken Birch had some ties to Toronto growing up. He was on the Raptors. So you kind of have three guys with a relationship. You saw Boucher and Dort talking after the game, but you probably saw him talking on the court as well because Dort was just right behind him in the point category. He ended up having 29 points on the game, shooting 9 of 15 from the floor, 5 of 8 from downtown. And I think over Overall, that first quarter needs to get hung up on the wall somewhere. We saw him go for 18 against the Jazz Tuesday. Took him, what, like five days in order to break that? And when he got 18, he not only got it in the first, but he also got it in the fourth quarter. See someone go off for 18 points, kind of a special moment. Lou Dort just kind of took that shock factor away, like desensitized the moment completely he was just going at it and as we saw him on Tuesday in the zone very hard to stop him no one could stop him when when he was launching all seven of those tries and because of that he is the seventh man in Thunder history to have a 20 plus point quarter and the people he joined on that list very remarkable KD Russell Westbrook Paul George CP3 SGA and Schroeder those are the only other guys attached on that list and he was just four points shy of tying the franchise record at least as i know of i tried searching publicly it's not really shared information as to franchise record points in a quarter but i believe it's paul george he had 25 against the utah jazz back in 2018 i think it was one of their biggest comeback wins in franchise history as well need to check back on it probably a hell of a game to rewatch. Uh, just because of that 25 piece alone from Paul George. But he's in really good company, as I mentioned. And Mark Dagnall was talking about it. I mean, he was mentioning how in the first, he just had it going, hitting all his jumpers. And he talked about how his game has just been diversified completely. 100% have to agree with Coach here. Not just the three where he's been propelling, but also the inside game. He's not shying away from, you know, stringing up maybe a a dribble move or two to free up some space and then just attack you. He's looking to create contact when he drives in at the rim, and he did that. He shot eight free throws in the game and sunk six of them. Not to mention his defense, always kind of pesky anyways, so he has the whole package, really. So does Alexei Pogashevsky too, though, and him... Maybe in this game more so than Lou Dort, as wild as that sounds. But just listen to this stat line right here. 8 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, 
and six blocks in 28 minutes of play. Set a career high in blocks, obviously. If you're getting six blocks in a game, you need to you need to talk about that for a while because that is something that a lot of great players will just never hit in their career. Not to mention he's also 19 years old. But having a stat line where you're having five or more points, rebounds, assists, and blocks, something you don't see from teenagers that often, becomes the fourth teenager in history to reach that milestone. Only other people to hit that, LeBron James, T-Mac, and Kevin Garnett. Those are Hall of Famers we're talking about. You don't see any random guys on that list. All three of those players... They hold a lot of power to their name. Does Alexei Pogashevsky? In the Thunder realm, yeah, probably. Nationwide, I don't know if we're there just yet, but that's a good sign. If you're going to be in a any sort of list with LeBron, T-Mac, and Kevin Garnett, that's a good thing for you. That's, that's definitely you being on the right track. So as I talked about, just being all over the place, I think really the blocking was where he was the most significant. In the bubble, he was good at rejecting shots. Like Him and Moses Brown were not letting anything go through him. Got to keep in mind though, Poku, I mean, playing at power forward and even small forward, he's towering over like entire rosters at some points. So kind of just a huge advantage for them. He was going up against like 6'6 players, just smacking them, smacking the ball out of the park. But bit different here when you had guys like Chris Boucher going at you. I think Boucher probably, you know, at the end of things, could have had a smile on his face, but so should Alexei Pokashevsky. And Darius Baisley should too, because he had a pretty good game. 16 points, 8 rebounds. That was literally the prototype stat line for him entering this year. Like, I remember every single talk was... Over under, 16 points, 8 rebounds. I think I did a podcast at the beginning of the year where I was with one of my buddies asking these exact same questions. And I think we kind of had that baseline right around there. And the main reasoning was he's going to be able to open up his three again and he's just going to be lethal driving in at the basket. We've seen him be elite at finishing at the rim. He's been really bad at shooting threes though. Like since returning, he has been ice cold. Shot one of 10 in his last game, but against the Raptors, he shot three of five. And even when he was attacking the rack, he still got three made field goals to go for him. So I thought that was one of his better games. Like it wasn't necessarily all that pretty because I didn't mention, but he shot six of 15 as a whole. So on twos, he was three of 10. That's pretty bad for him. But I'd still consider this one of his better games because we got to see his three-point shot. And his three-pointer has been so shaky. When it comes to shooting three of ten inside, we all know that's not going to happen. That's kind of just like a once-in-a-blue-moon occurrence for him right now. When it comes to three-point shooting, he's not been shooting all that well. So him shooting at that kind of clip, that's something you need to be talking about heading into the next game. Two other guys you could mention, Kendrick Williams and Isaiah Roby. They were both good. Williams had 12 points. Roby had 11. Williams has been in a slump. He's gotten out of that, at least from what we saw in the last game. And then with Isaiah Roby too, like he just looked kind of lost a bit once he got rid of the small ball five duties. Like when Bradley came in and he came out of injury, you didn't really see where he fit in. But 
he looked good. I mean, a couple of major highlight plays. Like he had a pass that was way over his head. He was at the left corner. He had to just midair catch the ball and chuck it inside through a damn near bullet pass. I think it was to Tony Bradley. Two points. Those kind of effort plays, you love to see it from him. And not just him making his shots. He shot four of six, but he hit a three as well. And he also got right back to his roots, getting eight rebounds. That tied the most on the team, obviously, with Darius Baisley. If there was going to be you know, a player or two that you might say, maybe this wasn't their best game, Moses Brown and Tony Bradley are going to be on that list. Maybe not so much Tony Bradley. I might just have way too big expectations for him because he had eight points and three rebounds off the bench but Moses Brown this might have been his worst game since coming back from the Orlando bubble at least as a starter this probably will be he got clamped up by Chris Boucher, Ken Birch, and Aaron Baines scoreless on the day 0 of 3 from the floor just wasn't even looking to take shots and he only had four rebounds, had 20 minutes on the court too, so it's not like he was just in and out of the rotation, no, he was a mainstay, but he just could not produce, and I just don't know if he's really had touch around the basket, like saying, you know, you don't have touch, like what the hell does that mean, I I don't know, I just, I think he's in the right spots, he's just not converting really, and maybe it might have something to do with Dort and Baisley being reinserted in the lineup. I'll check that out and get you some numbers on that if he kind of plays poor against Washington as well. But my kind of conspiracy theory here is with Dort and Bays, they're always looking like if they have a path to the rim, they're taking shots every time they can. If there's a dump off, yeah, maybe they'll make it, but their number one priority is getting to the line or just hitting a quick two easy points. And we saw them against Philly actually try to distribute the basketball. I think Bays had nine turnovers in that game and Dort had three. It's coming off of those dump offs to guys like Bradley and Brown. Just kind of completely shut out that side of the game. And it's worked for those two, but it's kind of had some adverse effects on the two bigs. I think that's what has hit Moses Brown, but also at the same time, like he has had good looks, just has not been able to convert. So he needs to kind of step up in that area also think just in general as closing out games has been an issue we've lost 10 in a row so i guess it's a cheap shot like we all know that but they gotta have some stronger fourth quarter performances in order to you know get some more wins think when it comes to handling the basketball too that needs to be addressed this was another game where they had 20 plus turnovers got 21 in the game and they almost got more turnovers than assists again as I talked about that first quarter, they were squeaky clean, damn near perfect. Not the case in the second half. They only had seven assists in that second. And turnover-wise, just was way too common for them. So the points off of turnovers just ended up kind of saving the Toronto Raptors. Gave them way too many extra possessions. Said how they shot 8 of 21 in the first half on threes gave us a lot of possessions well we kind of just gave them extra area to operate with with all the team turnovers that we ended up building across the game helped out a bit because they were feeling it from distance shot 14 of 33 a little bit over 42 percent on the game whereas toronto they were really good too and this is probably where you get the numbers back 
they shot 17 of 38 for 44.7 percent so they're gonna end up they're gonna end up stealing nine points in that area and hey they only won by six so it's just the tiny details but yeah they kind of need to just stay more honed in on defense and then when it comes to how they are being used like you gotta you gotta be a little bit wary of how you're operating with the basketball because the turnovers that's been your number one issue as to why they've been losing all these games at least in my opinion that would be why but moving on into the next game i mean they have another shot to get a w here go into the nation's capital to face the wizards it's gonna be at 7 p.m central standard time today back to back set closing it out and the wizards definitely not as easy as the toronto raptors would be and the raptors they've been free falling as i said the wizards they have been on the up and up you got bradley beal you got russell westbrook two superstars westbrook i think he's only 10 10 or so triple doubles away from breaking oscar robertson's career high um or career number of triple doubles so he is very close and he's still doing the same thing he was doing in oklahoma city like people are gonna try to degrade him we saw it in houston he's still the same russell westbrook like he still has that fire under him and bradley beal you know it's no farce that he's been leading the league and scoring for almost the whole entire year to this point he can make things happen and both of them are going to be playing you're not going to see teams sandbagging in this one at least on the wizard side of things and with the oklahoma city thunder you know with them losing the last 10 and the wizards winning the last three you can kind of make up the numbers here you can be the uh vegas book here you probably give the edge to the washington wizards right now and lou dort your main guy in the last game he's not going to be playing so that's a major hit and you're going to need someone like darius Baisley to step up huge or a big man like moses brown or bradley to step up in order to kind of recover there for the Wizards, I believe Daniel Gafford's the guy taking up most of the center minutes now. Like, I think he is the forefront of the team at the five. He's a decent prospect, but I feel like that might be an easier matchup for someone like Moses Brown to digest in the game. So we'll see what goes on there. This is another kind of lottery game. So don't check the Wizards and say immediately, oh, they have two stars. This one's over. Well, I mean, they're 23 and 33 for a reason. They haven't been able to finish out games. Thunder have not been able to finish out games. They're turning the corner right now. Yes, but they can still veer off track just a little bit. And it could happen against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So don't write them off just yet. We'll see what happens in the game. And I'll make sure to give you guys a recap tomorrow of my thoughts from the night. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.